So you said you've been working on this series for a year. Yeah. First Peter's been on your heart for a long, long time. Yeah. We're back after being off for a couple of months. We've just launched a new sermon series on the New Testament book of First Peter. We're excited today to talk about the concept of election, to go deeper into what it means to find our identity in Christ, and to answer some of your questions. You know, I, I don't want to overstate that. What I've been doing is I've been I've been I've been reading and studying First Peter for a year. It's not like I've been message writing for a year, but I've just mm-hmm. been mar- marinating in it and uh, reading it almost every day. Is uh, it a, for a, a year. particular favorite book of yours, or just something that uh, the book you've chosen to be in? It's it's just the yeah. I knew that I was going to be I knew that I was going to be preaching it, and so I wanted to begin studying it devotionally, not just for it, there's devotional. You know, study that we do, and then as pastors, there are um, there's like study study mm-hmm. <laughs> that we do to prep for the prep for sermons, and I don't want those two things to be the to be the same thing. And so, but uh, for I just wanted to spend some time devotionally reading and, and studying First Peter. Super encouraging for me, and and I started you know collecting a lot of thoughts, and made me just more and more excited as I knew that the series would eventually. Uh, be here, and now it's here. Yeah. And so hopefully, what I share uh, has at least a measure of encouragement for others in the way that it's had just a tremendous amount of encouragement for me. Well, That's I've been my looking goal. forward to it for months. Some of the passages in here that talk about a, a, a great view of suffering and God's work in it all has been formative in my life. And yeah, it, good. Yeah, it, several passages that I've been just itching to to get to hear you preach. You, and you to mentioned study. you there. There's some there's some really kind of just. Uh, monumental passages. I mean, at the end, in First Peter five twelve, he says, "Listen, I, you know, I've written to you briefly, <laughs> like, like as if this is just this is just a real quick, just short little note to encourage you." Mm-hmm. But there's there's massive stuff in there about who you are in Christ um, and God's uh, the things that God is doing inside of us through His Spirit to make us holy, to grow into the status that we've been given in Jesus. There's there's just some tremendous information about how we are supposed to engage with the government, mm-hmm. how we're supposed to engage with people who are hostile to us, how we should be engaging in our homes, how we should be engaging when we feel like we are the recipients of oppression or injustice, and how we should engage when we want to lead, but we're not able to be in a position of leadership yet, and that we should... We should embrace a posture of submission, and then stuff about you know when Jesus went to hell, and then (laughs) just kind of drops that in there. It's like Peter, you this brief note. You've got so much stuff in here, and it is a joy for me uh, to get to walk through this together uh, with our congregation. I know that eight weeks is not going to do it justice, uh, and yet uh, this this eight weeks is going to be a great journey. And then we're done. It's going to be Holy Week. We'll start off with Palm Sunday, and uh, and and then good. Friday and Easter. And I, I'm just, I, I am jazzed up, not just for this series, but this season that we get to be in together as a yeah. church. Yeah. Well, and I've been looking forward to it in particular, just knowing that we've got our small group ministry also walking alongside us through this this particular series, going deep into the book and, and wonderful study. And, and hopefully groups are having great discussion as they're pulling out the meat of the text and Absolutely. discussing what they're hearing and the weekend services and seeking to encourage each other to apply it. Yeah. This was not meant to be done alone. 
You know, it is a it's something that we're supposed to do in community. And I'm so, so glad that so many people in our church are leaning in to that mm-hmm. and, and deepening their relationships with each other as they're they're walking this journey of following Jesus together. Awesome thing. Awesome mm-hmm. thing. Lots to lots to celebrate there. And if you're listening and you're not yet in a small group, it's not too late. We mm-hmm. still have some small groups that are open. You can check that out on our website and find a group that meets at a time that fits your schedule. And uh, we'd love everyone to be able to join us in Absolutely. this study. Absolutely. Ridge that church. That should be your one stop shop to get all the information about uh, checking out a group. And we'd love. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Mm. Well, Rick, I'm so glad we're finally back at the podcast mics. It's been a couple months since yeah. we've gotten to record anything here. I've missed this. I have too. I don't know if people have missed listening to us, but I've missed talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed these conversations. They're so much fun. They are fun. Yeah. We've still had some fun ones up in the offices, but it's uh, it's fun to actually get yeah. to sit down here and, and be more intentional about it. Yeah. So I'm keen to know, Svea, what is uh, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Yeah. What are some What are some things you want to dive into, and what are some questions that maybe we've received as now we've l- officially launched the First Peter series? Yeah, we've gotten a couple. the uh, The message from this last weekend, getting us kick started on chapter one, did definitely inspire some questions and some thoughts, and I'm thankful for this opportunity to to go into that um, right off the bat. I think uh, one of the most powerful things that you talked about in the context of understanding our identity and and Peter's intent in writing this book is is wanting us to have this opportunity that you took from from the end of chapter 5 yeah. to make sure that we stand firm in the true grace of God. That's right. And that you know when when circumstances come into our life that can cause us to kind of get knocked down, yeah. that people who don't have faith are often envious of those who do. Yep. But even people who do have faith sometimes find that faith in a bit of doubt when sure. uh, when whatever it is that they've been seeking to find their their significance, mm-hmm. their security, and their satisfaction, and maybe comes into question if that isn't what they've been finding in God. Sure, sure. And the powerful point that you made was that sometimes even believers, even Christians, can be using the things of God to try to get God to give them what they're using to find their significance, their satisfaction and security in ways that aren't necessarily of God. Mm -hmm. So even to the point of using prayer, like say something like health is, is, has become an idol in in someone's life that we can use prayer. We can use God to try to get him to give us the things that we need Mm -hmm. for our security. So praying for health uh, you know, is a good thing to do, but it can sure. become so. How could that a be an idol? How, how could that be a twisted thing? First off, let me just say this: um, there's nothing wrong with pursuing and wanting significance, security, and satisfaction. I believe those three things are God-given needs, and I believe that we were designed to find those ultimately in Him through Jesus Christ. That He is our satisfaction. He's our security. He is our. He's the source of our significance. Um, we have those needs, um, but what we're always vulnerable to, which is just easy to do, to slip into, is to look for something other than Jesus to be our significance, security, and satisfaction. And so even for believers, even for church folks, even for people who are devoted followers of Jesus, it's easy to slip into this 
if I have health or if I have a certain relationship status or if I have a certain income level or if I have a certain level of respect, that's really what makes me feel okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for those things, which is nothing wrong with asking God for financial success. Nothing God with asking with asking God for for relationship. Nothing God with nothing wrong with praying and asking God for health. The problem is is when we believe that our significance, security, and satisfaction rests in having those things. Mm-hmm. Because if we believe, oh, that's what makes me, that's what makes me valuable. That what's that's what makes my life worth living. That's that's what makes me feel safe. Then what we're doing is we're using God to get stuff from Him instead of engaging in prayer to get more of God. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get more things from God, and so if we take. First Peter 5.12, we says, stand fast in the true grace of God. Now let's link back to First Peter chapter 1, where he, over and over again, he talks about this inheritance that we have, that it can't spoil, it can't fade, it's shielded by God's power, it can never be taken away from us. We have been given everything in Christ, and that is secure, right? And so what we need to do is find our encouragement in that, find our security in that, our satisfaction in that, and not settle for lesser things as being the foundation of what makes us okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if this sounds clear. It might sound like gibberish to some folks because it almost sounds like the exact same thing. Mm. Yeah, so but let me it give is you two, light years apart. Two follow-up questions then yeah. to that. First, I'd like you to talk about what that actually looks like to find our significant satisfaction and security in Christ mm-hmm. so that we know that we're aiming for sure. the solid things. Yeah. Uh, and then the other question is, mm-hmm. so you said there's still nothing wrong with praying for the the other kinds of things. not only is it not wrong we're encouraged to do so mm-hmm. so so give us some help with the, the correct mindset in doing that yeah and you can choose which order you want to answer well, those questions let me let me go with the first question um, that that you asked so number one recognizing that my significance is in is in Christ is that the one who made the universe the one who designed supernovas and galaxies and moons and stars and mm. baby giggles and it all, all of it loves us. Mm. That he would gladly take on what it meant to be human and give his life for us. And we're told that we're made in his image. It's not like, that doesn't mean that the reflection that we see in the mirror is a hint at what he might look like. It, meant, it means that we are designed to reflect what he is like and to be in relationship with him. That is a source of immense, immeasurable value and worth. Mm. And to know you are loved. The God above and beyond the universe who holds it all together just by just by his own very words. <laughs> he loves you mm. for no other reason than that he chooses to love you. Mm-hmm. He is love and he values you. That is a game changer. Now, I understand. I totally understand when... The person who you want to like you doesn't like you back, right? <laughs> and I don't mean to be like trite, like middle school crush thing, but I mean just like people that you want to be friends with, people who who you you want them to think well of you and they don't think well of you and you experience real hurt. It's real mm-hmm. hurt that, well, how does that help? Number one, you got to remember, they're not the basis of your significance. Mm. And it is just so easy. It's so easy for all of us to be like, well, I would, I would feel better about myself if they felt better about me. Mm. 
but you've just made you've just made a broken imperfect person the foundation for what you need mm-hmm. when instead you could look to Christ who can stand against me yeah. right who can who can who can take that away nobody can take that away yeah that is immensely powerful and, and, and Peter is just laboring oh the reason he repeats it over and over again throughout his letter is because <laughs> It's a statement about us, I think. It's because it is hard to get, mm. and we really, we really have to wrestle with it, and we really have to do the do the work of taking it deeper and deeper into our thoughts, into our hearts, to recognize we are loved, we are accepted, we're okay. There is nothing we could do to cause God to love us more. There's nothing we could do to cause Him to love us less. That our inheritance, all that we have in Christ, it is shielded by God's power, mm-hmm. and is safe. It is secure. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful thing. It's incredible. Now. In this life, we actually we have other needs too. Like we need health, right? If you don't, if we don't, if we don't have health, we're going to suffer and eventually die. Um, we, we're, we, we need community, relationships with other people. It's powerfully important, but it cannot be the. But those things cannot be the foundation of my significance, my security, and my satisfaction in life. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be loved, and I and I have a need to be loved. But even if other people reject me. I have all that I need in Christ. So it's okay to pray, God, I want to have healthy relationships. I'm going to work towards healthy relationships, and and I want to pray that other people respond to me in healthy ways too. That is a good thing to pursue. That's a good thing to ask for. After all, depending on how you want to count it, it's either 48 or 56 times that there are one another phrases in the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, greet each other with a holy kiss, which... I choose to interpret contextually, <laughs> and I'll like give you a fist bump or a high five, and I'm now a hugger, but I'm not kissing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but you, but there's all kinds of these. So we should be pursuing healthy, happy relationships. It's good to pray for God, to God for those things. It is not good to base our worth and our safety and our satisfaction on those things. Mm. And again, Anybody who's listening, you deserve a better communicator than what you have in me. I'm just doing my very best to try to parse out the difference between those things. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you what it looks like. Let me give you some ugly versions mm-hmm. of what it looks like when people forget this. We engage. We can engage in codependency type behavior. We can engage in manipulative type behavior. We can even do some really, really good things and serve people and do all kinds of things, but we're really doing it because we're trying to get them to affirm us. Are you following me? Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do wonderful things for you because I need you to think that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I need you to think better of me. And if I do that, I'm not really loving you. I'm using you as a context to serve myself. Mm. and my deep down need for significant security and satisfaction. That's ugly. At the root of it, it's no different than the kinds of boys that I try to warn my daughter about who would use her, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. The root of that is the exact same. The expression might be different, but the root is the, is the, is the exact same. Um, I mean, let's, let's, let's do one that's a little close to home. I think we've used this before. Um, if I, we're both parents, mm-hmm. right? We want our kids... We want our kids to behave. Like we want our kids to make good choices. We want them to thrive. But if I try to get my kids to make good decisions so that other people will think better about me, mm. and if when my kids don't make good decisions, if it's I'm grieving how it makes me look, I'm putting a weight on my kids that they could they could never carry. 
I'm using them to be the source of my significance, and I'm not really loving them. I'm using them to serve myself. Mm-hmm. And so this is why it's so important to remember, no matter what happens, I'm safe and secure in Christ simply because I've trusted in him. He's done all the work to provide that, and I have that simply by trusting in him. Now I'm free to love my kids and parent them. Now I'm free to serve other people without using it as a means to get something from them in return. Mm -hmm. Do I want love from them in return? Absolutely. But I don't need it in order to be able to love them. I've already been given everything I need in Jesus. This is where the gospel is so countercultural. And it's not just countercultural. There should be a, it's counter me, (laughs) Hmm. right? It, It counters what comes naturally to me. And it's not just that the world doesn't understand this. It's not just that non-believers don't understand this. It is hard for believers to understand this. And this is why this is why we're told to work out your own salvation for it's God who's working in you. That's mining terminology. It's the work out your own salvation is it, it's it's terminology that's related to excavating out of a mine. You have this rich, deep mine of goodness. Keep drawing out, keep discovering, keep digging all that's there for you because God's at work in you. Mm. And so our joy and our privilege as believers is to keep exploring and teasing out all that we have in Christ. And so so we got to dig in, keep digging into that mine of significance and security and satisfaction that you have in Jesus. And the more you understand that, the more, it's not just the more courageous you're going to be, it's the more free you're going to be to actually to extend Christ-likeness to others because we'll do it free from transaction, free from needing to get something from them in return. We're just going to be able to freely give in the way that he freely gave to us. So you said a lot of helpful things about the importance of not looking to others for (laughs) Is that code for Rick, you talked too much? (laughs) I feel like that was a really polite way of saying you rambled a little too long. Which is probably true. It's probably true. <laughs> but but now focus a little bit more on when we're looking to God yeah. to give us something and he doesn't perform the way we want to. Because I think that's at the heart of, yeah. of what I've observed in so many people that yeah. have the so-called shipwrecked faith. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I'm going to throw this out. I think I've used this before, but it's, but it's been a while. Um, we trust God in our circumstances, not for our circumstances. Those prepositions are very important. And so too many people, too many people talk about, I'm trusting God for, and they fill in the blank, with health, with security, with, and they mean something other than what we were talking about, um, for, for something to work out, for this job promotion, whatever. I'm going to trust God in this circumstance, and I'm going to ask him for things that I believe are good, but I'm also going to pray in the name of Jesus, which essentially means I'm praying in your character, mm-hmm. but I'm also... I'm also saying, I don't need my agenda. I want your agenda more than I want my agenda. So if you say no, that's okay. If this is something that 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 you're giving me something that I would have never picked for myself because you have a purpose that's better than what I can even see or pick for myself, I'm going to trust you in that even if I can't see yeah. how it's all playing out. It's a pretty powerful chuck of uh, yeah. what you're making an idol in your life if you're able to give it up to God in an open hand yeah. and say, God, this is what I really am mm-hmm. asking you to do for me, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to accept that whatever you decide to do is what will be ultimately best for me. Absolutely. And so if I pray for health and I don't have health, 
that shouldn't shipwreck my faith because God didn't promise God didn't promise, hey, if you believe in Jesus, if you if you do these things, then I'm going to guarantee that you have that you have perfect health or or certain level of health throughout your life. It's that you will be saved from your sin, mm-hmm. that you will be included in Christ, and what's true of him will be true of you, and that you have a hope for the life to come. One of the things that we're going to dig into uh, really in the next week, and Peter, is this idea is that we're looking forward to salvation that's coming. And so there's this, there's the, there's this old way of talking about this biblical concept, and it's, I am saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Mm-hmm. So I am saved, I'm in Christ, and I'm totally secure and safe in Him. I'm being saved. The Holy Spirit is, the theological word is sanctifying, making me to grow into the status of holiness that I've been given in Christ. So I'm being saved. I will be saved. One day Jesus will return and I will be with Him, or at, or I will die and I will be with Him, and I'll ultimately I'll, I'll experience the culmination of all that I've been promised in Christ. Mm-hmm. And too often we settle for lesser things right now instead of remembering that's the inheritance. Mm. And so if I don't if I don't get the job promotion now, or if I don't get the relationship that I'm looking for now, or if I don't get the I don't get the health that I'm looking for now, or if I don't get the recognition that I'm looking for now, or if I don't get the level of comfort that I'm looking for now, if I don't get any of or all of these amazing, wonderful, good things, if I don't get them now, that's okay, because that's not ultimately what I've been promised in this life, and that's not where my safety, security, and satisfaction come from. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, all the things, all the things that I want, I'm going to experience in the life to come with Christ, and I'm safe and secure in Him now that's shielded by God's power, and I can simply rest and trust in that even if I'm in difficult situations. And that's what Peter was writing into. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing we got to wrestle with. So as you talk about this concept of salvation being something that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, yeah. that uh, probably for a lot of people naturally brings up the concept of election. Yeah. And election kind of being wrapped up in this idea of, of how does salvation work? Does mm-hmm. God choose us to be saved? Do we choose God? Mm-hmm. Um, and you spent the last half of the sermon yeah. focusing on on teaching through some of the theology around mm-hmm. election and mm-hmm. some of the questions that we got were definitely uh, interested in hearing you expand a little bit more sure. of your thoughts sure. on election. Um, and you you broadened out that there are there are many different ways of understanding this, yeah. that, that good-hearted, Bible-believing, intelligent people come down in different camps Absolutely. on how they understand election. As I as I as I move forward in answering questions. I may not be able to maintain what I attempted to do on Sunday and Saturday night. Hmm. What I attempted to do on Sunday and Saturday night is to make statements that people and, and thought leaders and all the four kind of major camps could all say, well, yes, that's true. Some of them might want me to say more, but I don't think any of them would want me to say less, mm-hmm. right? And those four major uh, thought camps our uh, Calvinist, the, the Calvinist perspective, Arminian perspective, a Wesleyan perspective, and a provisionalist perspective. But as I begin to answer questions, <laughs> I'm and I and I just share more of what I think. Eventually, we're going to get to a point to where people in one camp will see that I'm espousing a viewpoint that's different from their camp, and I don't think they're dumb. I, I mean, there are smart, good-hearted. Mm-hmm. 
God-loving people in all camps. Yep. But at some point, we're going to disagree, and you might find that I disagree, and I and I hope that that's. Well, I hope, but, I hope but, we can engage that well. I I trust that we will in the okay. spirit of yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, but can we pull back a little yeah. bit that for for people who maybe are newer to church mm-hmm. or haven't really studied theology yet, this might be a completely foreign concept. Yeah. So can you just give us a one sentence definition? Let me shoot out the terms for you and just kind of give a if if this is the first time someone's heard of this, can just start with election. Mm-hmm. What's a, a one-sentence definition of what it means to be elect? To be elect means to be chosen by God. Okay, thank you. And then of the four camps, the two mm-hmm. big ones being Calvinism and Arminianism, how would you explain what it means to be Calvinist in a sentence? Svea, that is a good <laughs> question and a fair question. The challenge for me is I, I don't know... There are so many different versions... And so, like, if 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 being biblical, being a biblical Christian is the tree, and if the Calvinist perspective is a branch on that tree, there are many limbs that are coming off of Calvinism in which they don't necessarily agree. And the same would be true for our Arminians and and Wesleyans and and Provisionalists. So it's it's man, it feels it feels almost impossible for me to be able to give a quick summary because I think many everybody in those camps would say, well, you didn't represent it well enough. Well, sure. It's, ah, I... But in, in its in its basic root, do you think it would be yeah. safe or fair to say that, that Calvinists generally are going to believe that God chose who would be saved, whereas Arminians would say everyone has an opportunity to choose God? Um, yes. And so uh, let me just, if, if people out there in listener land will give me the grace to recognize that I can't, there's, there's, there's no way that, listen, I've got Calvin's Institutes in my, in my office. If you picked it up, it might give you a hernia. I mean, he has, he has (laughs) written so much. There's so much to, to, to say about what he had to say, but, um, but essentially is that from eternity past, God chose who would believe in Jesus, and by his sovereign grace empowers those people to have faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's not a controversial summary of Calvinism in a very broad way. Mm-hmm. Now do the same for Arminianism. Uh, in Arminianism, um, it would emphasize more that um, people have the ability to choose God for themselves. Um, it is a, depending on who you ask, it is a, <laughs> could be seen as a branch off of, uh, a branch off of Calvinism. And not only do people have the ability to choose um, apart from like a divine decree from God, they also have the ability to choose to no longer believe. And they could, there's, it allows that people could even lose their salvation, which is not something that I would affirm. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get in the weeds and mm-hmm. in the theology of this, what's the practical outplay of this? What's what's the purpose of even engaging in conversations about how election works? Well, what everyone is trying to do is they're trying to understand well, what has been communicated to us by God in his word, and, and what is God like? And how does he how does he engage with us? And so that's a really honorable pursuit to to know 
who God is, what is he like, how does he engage with us, and what is trying to be communicated through his word. Mm-hmm. So I think I think at the heart that's what everybody's trying to do, and we might come to different understandings. You know, you know, we we've talked about this before. I had a seminary professor who essentially said something like this: trying to define God is like trying to put fifty pounds of mud in a five pound bucket. It, <laughs> you know, it's it's just we're we're gonna we're all gonna bump up t- against our limitations. Mm-hmm. So, but. One of the things that you're just going to find different uh, between these different viewpoints is some are going to affirm for people to be able to trust in Jesus, God had to choose them first and supernaturally empower them to be able to trust in Jesus. And others are going to say all people have the ability to be able to choose Jesus when they hear the gospel preached. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what all share in common is the importance that we should be sharing the gospel of Jesus with people with all people. It's God's mm-hmm. intent that this goes out uh, to the to the entire world. And Matthew chapter 28 and, and Acts chapter 1, uh, it's just, I think it's just crystal clear that mm-hmm. this is this is Jesus's mandate to us. A term that's used to describe this mission that we've been given is the Great Commission, mm. go into all the world. Um, and so that's what that's what we want to do. Now, how God is engaging and operating inside and around all of that, you know what? I want to know and I want to understand, but I'm going to run up I may not even be a five-pound bucket. I might be a three-pound bucket. There's a (laughs) limit to my ability to understand. I just trust him, and I trust that over and over and over again that he says, whosoever will, and that we should preach the word, and that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so I want to share that Mm -hmm. and preach as though... preach as though he meant what he said. Yeah, of course he did. Yep. And he has foreknowledge of who will come to him, but we Absolutely. don't know who that is. That's right. So we're, we need to be faithful and yeah. preaching to, to everyone who we have the opportunity. To. Yeah. So this is my, I'm going to confess my insecurity to everybody on here. Is that allowed? <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pick a fight with anybody. <laughs> I don't want to offend um, anyone by misrepresenting misrepresenting their viewpoint. What I'm trying to do, but what, what's most important to me is to be able to say, this is the ground that all believers can stand on mm-hmm. in unity. Mm-hmm. And the yes, God chooses us. Our responsibility is to respond to the message of Christ and to, and to choose him. How all of that works out it's important and relevant to investigate, but at the end of the day, we got to preach the word, and we've got to we've got to respond to what we've heard. A question that came in, and, and I heard of a couple people discussing mm-hmm. this uh, on Sunday in the lobby. Um, for for many of us who have studied election mm-hmm. before, we really have associated that with a theology of salvation mm-hmm. and and how how we are saved, how yeah. how that process goes. And so you'd made a comment about that there are going there are people who are elect who aren't necessarily saved. And yeah. for some of us who were educated in a certain branch of theology, sure that statement did not seem consistent with an understanding of election. Can you explain a little bit more about what you meant by that statement? I'm not even sure what I meant by it. <laughs> I know. What's the next question? <laughs> no, no, no. You don't get off the hook that okay. easily. <laughs> yeah. So let me go back to, to what the point was, um, is that election is more often about service than salvation. The frequency of, of stories and accounts uh, an Old Testament, New Testament about God choosing people or electing people is about service or fulfilling a purpose. It's more often that than it is than it is about salvation. And so, if we always and only equate election 
with salvation, there are things that we're going to be confused about. We think about, well, who are some of the people that, that God chose or elected for service? Um, how about the nation of Israel? They are they are God's chosen people, mm-hmm. absolutely. Chosen and elect being the same. Absolutely, term. it's it's the exact mm-hmm. same concept. They're not separate concepts. They're the exact same concept. Obviously, the word in and the New Testament is different than the word in the Old Testament because uh, the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, and the uh, New Testament was exclusively uh, written in um, written in Greek. Although there are, there's a couple of Aramaic expressions in there, so maybe I shouldn't say exclusively. It's overwhelmingly written in Greek. Who are some other people that were that were chosen or elected by God to serve a purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, how about the Babylonians mm-hmm. to uh, to exercise um, judgment on Israel mm-hmm. and to take them into exile? God chose them for that. That's not the same as salvation, is it? Mm-hmm. It's different. Um, how about? Uh, we talked about Cyrus yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's right. That God that God chose him, and so yeah, um, it's not a saved person by any means. Not that I know of. That God clearly used yeah. for His purposes I've to got, enact His will. I've got no reason to 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 to, to believe that. Yeah, that he <laughs> that he is that he's in the covenant community, but mm-hmm. but cho- but chosen by God. And so uh, I referenced uh, when Peter wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, Second Timothy chapter two verse when ten. Paul wrote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did I say? Peter. That's a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> Paul wrote it. Paul wrote. To, <laughs> I'm getting these names confused. Uh, when Paul wrote to, to Timothy uh, to encourage him, and he says, "I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation." Well, the word "too" is fascinating. Mm. That the elect also might obtain salvation. Well, who is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the Jewish people the people who are the chosen people of God, that they might also come to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So simply being God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, uh, to be to, to, to represent him and to have the law and to, to be people who would point to the coming Messiah mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that every individual in Israel would come to saving faith mm-hmm. in Jesus. And so, so that's when you what, made that comment, yeah. you were you were not using election in the sense of of the people who are saved. No, I'm not. So if you were using it in a much broader sense. That's right. As people who have been chosen by God for some purpose. So if you only equate election with salvation, what I would ask you to do is zoom out, look at God's word, look at the story of the Bible from cover to cover. And remember that there are many, many, many times, more often, that it's about service than about salvation. And so if we only equate it with salvation, there are key passages that we're just not going to understand. Paul's letter to Timothy would be one of them. But now bring us back to kind of the the bottom line. But oh, okay. hold on. But somebody's, <laughs> somebody's going to be thinking, <laughs> but wait a second, but what about election and salvation and where do they... If you are in Jesus, if you are in Jesus you are elect. If you are in the elected one, you are an elect of God. If you are in the chosen one, you are one of God's chosen because what's true of Jesus is now applied to you. As we as we read later in 1 Peter chapter 1, I could have I could have I could have I could have brought this up. Um the verse verse 20 talking about Jesus, 
he was chosen before the creation of the world, and, uh, and but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the chosen one. Um, Jesus is the foreknown one, right? Jesus is the elected one. When we are in him, that same status is is applied to us. Now, where provisionalists and Arminians and Wesleyans and and, and Calvinists are going to disagree is, well, how did you get in? <laughs> mm-hmm. How did how did you get into Jesus? And how does all of that work? I get fascinating, don't want to downplay it, would never say it's irrelevant. That's valuable and important to me. I think Mm -hmm. you should study it. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis is, if you are in Jesus, then that is true of you. Mm -hmm. But now, so wrapping this up, Mm -hmm. give us the the full perspective of the importance of why understanding our identity in who we are in Christ, in who we are as the chosen people of God now, uh, is is the launching point for understanding First Peter correctly. Courage and clarity comes by knowing who you are. Hmm. Courage and clarity comes from knowing your identity. And if you don't reckon with and if you don't know who you are in Christ and all of what that means and all that he has done and accomplished for you to have that, you're going to be confused and you're going to give in to fear. And will we understand who we are in him and who is at work in us and all that we have in him, we will have the clarity we need to move forward, and we'll have the courage we need to move forward with confidence. This is why this is incredibly important. And I hope, I hope that uh, that I'm able to do a good job in in expounding on that and unpacking that uh, for folks um, at our church over the coming weeks. Well, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a great study, and I look forward to hearing you preach it, to studying it in our small groups, and to getting to chat about it a little bit more on the podcast. All right. Thanks, Faith. Thank you.